Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joined for our weekly Penn State football podcast on the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel by Seth Engel of the Daily Collegian and the Post-Gazette. Seth, it's our first official postseason podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, so it was, you know, had a fun little break at home and, you know, got to go to Atlanta for a week, as we talked about last time, and I went to the Palestra this past weekend for, for some Penn state basketball, which is just historic. You know, it's, it's, it's a museum there. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can discuss a little bit about that game later on, um, but doing well back in state college and uh, off season is, is on its way after, you know, last night's championship. Yeah. We're going to dig into that Penn state uh, watches Michigan win the national championship, beating Washington pretty soundly in Houston. And, and that's kind of the topic for the show. How how did we get here? How did we get to Michigan national champions in 2020? It was a rough year for Penn State. They, you know, had a losing record for the first time in many years. Don't go to a bowl game. Pandemic affected, but the they could hang their hat that year on. They beat Michigan in the Big House. They get that big win. Kind of get some of the good vibes rolling again. Um, and at that point, they had won three out of four games against Michigan. You think back to 2019 and the. Um, the, the, what was it? The, uh, they had to call timeout on the first play of the game in the whiteout, uh, Michigan did. It was embarrassing. It was, it was something Penn state has still to this day dunks on Michigan for, um, you know, that was, that was the landscape we were in three years ago. Penn state had pretty well, I think passed Michigan as a program. And now Michigan is hoisting the college football playoff championship trophy. Seth, what happened between that moment and last night? Well, I think that Michigan, you know, you have to look at the way that team is built. Um, and, and I think it's built the right way. Um, if you're starting a team, you want to start in the trenches. You know, offensive and defensive lines are going to be your team's anchors to success. And basically those other pieces around, you know, the trenches, they're going to have to, you know, develop and maybe figure themselves out over time. Um, Michigan was a team that always had a good offensive line and always had a good defensive line. Um, you know, dating back to the early years with Harbaugh. Um, what the question was, was, you know, really that offensive consistency to back it up, you know, and, and the pieces just came together. You know, J.J. McCarthy came in and, you know, I, not, I know he's not, you know, some spectacular quarterback. He's great. Um, and I think he does have a future in the NFL. Um, he's not, you know, Michael Penix or, or Caleb Williams, um, but he's good. And he was the right fit for that system. And then you have guys like Roman Wilson and Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, and it just worked out. 
and that defense stayed consistent. The offensive line stayed consistent and the pieces came together at the right time and they found success. You know, that's, that's basically, um, that's basically what happened, you know, over the past two years was they, they stuck to the script and, and they, they found a roster that they felt they could win with. And, you know, they stuck with that for the past two seasons. One thing Bill DiFilippo, a friend of mine who hosts the Roar Lions Roar podcast, observed last night on Twitter was that, you know, Michigan has a lot of three-plus-year guys, veteran guys, um, program guys, as you might call them. Maybe they're not the the best NFL prospects, but they've stayed around in the system for a long time, um, and that that's built a lot of the depth that Michigan was able to lean on on their run to a national championship I find that somewhat in contrast with Penn State, where I think the culture is a little more geared toward uh, go to the pros, you know, when you're ready. And and there's been, you know, I think a lot of fans encourage that. There's certainly people who say, man, I wish that player would stay and, and then get upset. But I think Penn State's culture is very much turned toward um, that that's a selling point, is that you come to Penn State, you will be an NFL prospect if you put the work in and you do um, a good job. And and I, I feel like the, you know, the loyalty to the program is, is maybe – is not on the same level as, as what they have kind of cultivated at Michigan. And that's why Michigan has a lot more of these program guys who, who've developed and, and um, you know, were able to make impacts in, in the national championship game. Do you think that that is, you know, if the goal for Penn state is to win a national championship, that, that, that kind of culture that they've kind of cultivated works against them a little bit. I don't want to say it's a bad thing because, you know, I think the, the goal for a lot of these guys is to get to the NFL, to make money, to, to change their families' lives. And, um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of shame in, in Penn State being a program that helps, you know, be a pipeline for those guys. But the other side is it definitely makes winning a national championship a little bit harder, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, Michigan's also just gotten so much closer than, than Penn State. So when you kind of have that taste of, you know, the playoffs or, you know, that taste of, OK, we're a game away from the national championship kind of in your mouth, um, you know, it helps and it, it helps keep people around. Like you look at Blake Quorum returning, which I feel like is the ultimate example of like, why would this guy return? He's going to be one of the top running backs in the draft last year. Why would he come back? Well, he came back because he knew Michigan, you know, had the opportunity to to win a national championship, which is exactly what they did, Um, which, you know, kept, you know, a ton of these, you know, kind of veteran guys around. Like I think Zach Zinter is a good example too, um, of a guy who's been good for a long time and, you know, risked injury and did get hurt, you know, in that Ohio State game, um, but was just such a solid player for such a long time. I think Penn State has that in a way, um, but I just don't think that the product ha- has been, you know, the same as what Michigan's able to do. Like Penn State had that with the Rose Bowl a little bit where we saw, you know, there was some excitement and guys were a little amped up. Um, but when you're not making the playoff, it's like, you know, it, it, it kind of lacks your motivation in a way. And I just think Michigan – has been so close for the past three years, so it's really kept that core together. Yeah, I should say, I think Penn State has done a, a good job on the portal end of things, of, of recruiting your guys to stay and keeping them in the fold. So right. in that way, I think they they have mimicked Michigan pretty well. I think it's the top-end talent, and and you mentioned Blake Quorum. I think the only guy you can really put in that category for Penn State in recent vintage is, is Olu Fashionit, right? He, he was the one guy that kind of surprised you, and you said, wow, you know, I, I thought he was going pro, but he's, he's going to stay at Penn State for another season. Um, I guess you can put Tyler Warren in that category this year a little bit, but I don't know if it's to the same degree. I mean, Olu was a first-round pick last year and and decides yeah. to come back. So 
um, you know, give give James Franklin credit for for succeeding and keeping his guys here rather than heading to other programs, having them bought in on that vision. I just I just wonder how much you know, it, you, how much is this of this taking the next step for Penn State? It's going to be about convincing those really good players to stay, and and what role is NIL going to play in that? Um, you know, I, I don't know a ton about Michigan's NIL program and, and how that you know factored in to things, but we know Penn State had been lagging and it had had really not taken things as seriously as they needed to until they get the wake-up call with Micah Shrewsbury leaving from the basketball team. I think things are moving in the right direction now, but um, does does what Michigan did here just underscore the importance of NIL, not just for attracting talent, but keeping your own talent in the building maybe a little bit longer than they otherwise would be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think retention is, is maybe you know as important, if not more important, than, than going out and bringing new guys in. Uh, recruiting high school athletes and recruiting transfers like to keep your team intact is extremely important um, especially when you have you know L nfl caliber talent um you know that door is is opening and closing every single year like that's just college athletics um and if you do have a successful nil base it helps you know when when there's potentially millions of dollars on the line in the pros um but your you know colleges um, NIL collective is like, well, we could get you a couple hundred thousand and, you know, maybe we could compete for a national championship and you, you know, you'd be great in this town. Um, you know, I think that's, that's really important. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what Penn state's NIL situation is right now. I don't think anyone does. Um, you know, you kind of look at the signs and you say, well, they're able to bring in this guy and, you know, that's pretty good. And, and, oh, well they have this guy and he didn't leave. So obviously they're doing something right, but the numbers we just we just don't know enough about like it's just not out there, um, which is funny and it's and it's weird. Um, so you really kind of just have to guess. But you know, but I will I will say this, Seth. Walk you know when I walk into the concourse going to a game this year, they they have the the state light logger and they say this uh -huh. this contributes to Penn State NIL. They had right. NIL stuff on the scoreboard this year. Um, you know they 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 talk a lot more about Happy Valley United than you know in terms of recognizing it in the stadium, where you are, where the fans are, where the, right. where the big donors are. Um, it, it's, it was up close and present this year in a way that it was right. not in previous seasons. And so, um, and, and I think they're just more organized on a social media level. Um, I think one of the big complaints about basketball was even during that March Madness run, the NIL collectives were almost saying nothing on Twitter to try to take all of the interest of Penn state being, you know, on, on their run and, and turn it into something. Um, they have done that. They, 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 you know, tweet about every game now. And so I think those are the types of signs we do have that Penn State is getting more organized and more professionalized in, in this space. But that it took it took Micah Shrewsbury leaving, I think, to really shake people. And I think that's maybe where they're falling behind programs like or at least fell behind programs like Ohio State and Michigan and now have some some ground to make up. Um, Seth, I also want to talk about Michigan's to like attitude about this whole winning the national championship thing. Mike Persak, who was the Penn State beat reporter for the Post-Gazette, um, a Michigan alum, he was talking a ton of junk last night and just unapologetic about, about what Michigan did to get here, um, you know, with, with the sign stealing and the NCAA investigations, all of that. Michigan fans do not care. And, and it, it, on some level, it feels like their donors, their big fans, the people who are most connected to the program – kind of just wanted it more than, than Penn State's did. And because and, over here you have Penn State fans kind of uh, clutching their pearls about the facility up, upgrades from, from a couple of years ago. You have them 
clutching their pearls about NIL. We, we saw Jay Paterno and, and that crew, um, you know, kind of not wanting to take the blame for, for what happened with Micah Shrewsbury, where, you know, guys like Mike Mowdy, um, Brandon Short, we're, we're putting the focus on how there is a resistant group in Penn State, you know, donor circles in the Penn State fan community that, that kind of, you know, turns their nose up at, at a lot of this NIL stuff. Is there a lesson to be learned from Michigan there and that, that they did what it took? They, they said, we're taking the throne by any means necessary, and, and they went out there and did it. Does Penn State need to want it a little bit more in those upper echelons of, um, you know, movers and shakers who, who fund the program and, and make things happen? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I think having the largest alumni association in the country helps. You know, that gives you a head start. Um, And I think when NIL was first kind of started, um, Penn State was viewed as a school that's like, okay, well, they're in the middle of Pennsylvania, but they have this outreach that no one else has in the entire country. I think it just took so much time to get the ball rolling and for people to realize, like you mentioned, this is college football. This is college athletics. NIL is not going away. It might change a little bit in the next couple of years, but athletes are getting paid. And and the way it is right now, um, you know, you have to rely on public support. You know, you have to rely on your donors and your alumni um, to, to donate. You know, they, they kind of run, they run the ship in a way. Um, and I think with Michigan, and this goes back to my point before with them being so close I think that the fans and the alumni saw that. And they're like, okay, we are so close to winning a national championship here. All it takes is for the just the small little pieces to come together around the, this, this solid block that we have built. Um, and I think it just took a little more donation and a little more attention to get the job done, to go well, out. And a little bit of if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? <laughs> I mean, that, 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 is, that is to me. Can't forget about that. A lot of Penn State fans kind of act like there's going to be a yeah. cop that comes in and arrests Jim Harbaugh for his crimes against football and, and sends him to the Hague or something. That's not how it's going to work. The rules, like, this is, this is a lawless sport right now. And either you're going to be a lawless program within that lawless sport uh, or, or you're going to, I think, get beat by programs that are willing to do whatever it takes. And I'm not saying Penn State go, like, full heel here and, and get their own Connor Stallions and, and send him out. But in terms of, like, at least this NIL space, you know, innovate, be, be one of the leaders in that space where, where you can, where you do have a large alumni base that you can, can leverage and, and use yeah. in that way and, and, and kind of, you know, figure out where the gray areas are and maybe try to expo- exploit them a little bit, um, you know, better than you have to this point. I, I think that's, that's kind of the point I want to make. I'm not saying don't start just like, you know, cheating. I'm not saying cheat, but, but, Michigan figured out where the soft edges were and, and they kind of exploited them. And, and I think that that is an attitude adjustment that Penn state and, and the donor base maybe needs to make. And, and to their credit, I think they have with a little bit with NIL um, and, and with the progress that's been made since Michael Shrewsbury left. But I think this just underscores how that has to continue. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that goes back to like Penn state's success with honor, just kind of tradition. That is just the way they've operated is, we're not going to break the rules. Like we're not going to cheat. We're not going to do any of that stuff. But 
maybe the SEC programs or Michigan's going to do. Um, and I still think that there are probably some some guys on the board and you know some big some big name donors probably still feel that way. Um, even though this is a this is a sport now that is very different than it was even five years ago. Um, and you know it it takes a lot to win a football game, a single football game. It takes you know millions of dollars, um, and to win all fifteen, you know it it takes a little extra. Uh, we saw that for Michigan. You know I'm not going to comment too much you know further on that, but you know it, it takes a lot. So you know whether Penn State is willing to uh, maybe go out of their comfort zone and and be as bold and aggressive as James Franklin you know has preached. Um, we'll see, but you know, times are changing and, you know, there might be some regulations so that Penn state might not even be able to, you know, kind of make those moves. Well, and listen, that'd be great. I would love it. If, if, if college football was a more regulated space where there were rules, where there was enforcement, where everything was on the up and up, like that is the ideal scenario, but that's not the world in which we currently live. And and in that landscape that, that that's where I think to your point, pushing the comfort zone is, is a good way to put it. Um, go into those gray areas. Don't don't break rules, but but figure out where you can fudge them to your advantage. And I don't know that Penn State has had that same hunger that I think we saw from Michigan this season that that paid off for them handsomely. No matter what happens from here, you can't take the confetti that, that fell last night from them. Um, Seth, I want to talk a little bit about Washington as well. You and I talked a lot uh, last week about you know how is how are these Pac-12 offenses going to change the Big Ten. Um, our Big Ten off, you know, defenses are, are their rankings a little bit inflated by the fact that they get to play, you know, the Indianas and the Michigan states of the world so often. And and you know, there's a little bit more offensive firepower in a league like the SEC. So I thought last night was a, a great test. Michigan's great defense against Washington's great offense that never seems like it's out of a game. And and I thought Michigan passed the test with flying colors. What is what is your read on on that game as, as kind of a preview of what we're going to see next season with USC, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA joining the Big Ten? Yeah, big game for the Big Ten. That that was huge, um, especially after what we talked about, just being unsure. And and I was I was a little unsure too um, about Michigan going into this game. To you know, I know their their defense has been dominant all year, but you know, to be able to you know completely derail what's likely the most explosive offense in the country, um, big question mark. And they did it. You know, they did it with the Big Ten model. Like, it's not like – I'd say Ohio State kind of skewed to more of an SEC kind of model and um, how they kind of build their teams. Michigan has always stuck to that same build through the trenches, like I've talked about the whole day, um, build through the trenches and, and do this kind of the Big Ten way with a dominant defense and an offense that just figures out a way to get it done. Um that's how it was. It was, and it was, it was a dominant game, and they won it like a Big Ten team would. Um, Washington's not going to have Michael Penix next year. You know, Caleb Williams is not going to be on USC next year. Bo Nix is not going to be at Oregon. You know, these Pac-12 teams, um, it, it's it's going to be an interesting season. You know, it's going to be fun, and I think that they all have good bases to find success. Um, but to be able to compete. With, with these dominant Big Ten defenses for a whole year now and do it every single week. Like, there's no breaks here. You know, there, there's no – you know, there, there's really no breaks in, in, in the competition. Um, I, I'm interested to kind of see how that works out. Did you think Penn State could have beaten that team last night with at full strength, no opt-outs? You know, you got your, you got your corners that you didn't have in the Peach Bowl. 
Um, did, did you look at them and say, hey, man, Penn State scored more points than Washington did on that that Michigan defense? Penn State, you know, probably would have played really solid defense against uh, Michael Penix. Um, did, did that give you a little bit more hope? I, I guess is because I think we were in a pretty dark place last week. The way, the way Penn State lost to Ole Miss, how it looked, um, you know, on the field, even knowing that there were opt outs. I looked at that game last night and I, I said, I think Penn State could have played with that team in a national title game. Yeah, they, they probably could have played with that. I mean, and, and Penn State was around for Michigan. Like, it's they only lost, they lost by nine points. You know, granted, it, it felt like a lot more. Um, but I just, I, I just don't think the offense was good enough this year, um, you know, to, to compete with Ohio State or Michigan or, you know, even facing a team like Washington. Um, the, the receivers, you know, it, it was a problem. I, I think Drew, um, just still developing and, and doing so kind of with a receiving core that just isn't getting the job done. Um, you know, next year is a new year, new coordinator. Um, so, you know, maybe next year's the year, but, you know, obviously Michigan's not on the schedule. Um, but, you know, that that offensive output, that that's going to be the most important thing with this Penn State team. A lot of news on the recruiting front that I want to get into you with, with you, Seth. Literally, like moments after we finished recording last week, Julian Fleming commits to Penn State, bolsters that receiving core. The former Ohio State product um, was was close to Penn State during the recruiting process. Was, was a, I think Penn State was a pretty close second. Um, finally, ends up in Happy Valley officially. We've talked about him for a couple of weeks, but Seth, what do you think he adds? Is he can he be like a true number one? Can he be in the in the Jahan Dotson mold? Or is he just a good receiver at this stage of his career who's better than what Penn State has right now? Yeah, Julian Fleming. I mean, for a point there, you know, he was he was probably going to commit to Penn State. And I think a lot of people thought that. Um, was this is going to be, you know, the Micah Parsons of the offensive side of the ball. You know, this, this great in-state prospect, um, top five recruit, going to return home and, it, you know, ends up going to the rival um, Ohio State. And, you know, Plays a lot over the past few years, but just doesn't necessarily get the targets uh, because they're given to, you know, some of the best receivers we've seen in the country, you know, the past decade, like, you know, Garrett Wilson and Marvin Harrison Jr. And, um, you know, a ton of guys there, a ton like Chris Olave, you throw him in there, Jackson Smith, the Jigba. Um, he's playing behind all these guys. So he has yet to kind of have a role as a number one, um, even this season as a veteran, you know, playing behind Harrison and, you know, Egg Buka, um, just not getting that chance. And this year he has that chance. You know, this is a guy who's an aggressive receiver. Um, he's able to create space, uh, but he's also a great run blocker. Um, so he, he adds that to the table as well. And, you know, if I'm Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, you know, I'd be just as happy um, as Drew Aller with, with that pickup. The other big pickup they had was Nolan Rucci. He used to be, uh, at the time he was recruited, he was the former number one recruit in all of Pennsylvania, five-star guy. Uh, 247 has him as more of a three-star prospect now as a transfer. He's an offensive lineman. He's big, a lot of size, a lot to work with there, Seth. What do you make of, of that? Because that was another big recruiting loss. that I, I don't remember a ton of them. I don't dig into the recruiting the way a lot, a lot of people do. But I do remember them losing the number one in-state yeah. prospect to Wisconsin as, as kind of a big loss for James Franklin. They get him back a couple of years later, but they probably have a little bit of work to do to get him back to, um, you know, the way he was regarded as a high school prospect. Yeah, you could make the argument that Nolan Rucci and Julian Fleming um, were James Franklin's biggest recruiting losses uh, of his Penn State tenure. Um, so it's interesting to see with, you know, this offseason – 
kind of come full circle. Um, but like with Fleming, you know, Rucci fills a need on the offensive line. Um, Penn State is losing both both of its starting tackles and, and Olu Fashionu and and Caden Wallace next season. Um, and Nolan Rucci's a guy who is, you know, still in search of of a you know true starting opportunity. Um, you know, he he played a lot at, at Wisconsin and you know played in games, but you know he only started a few. Um, and he's a big guy. You know, he's six eight, I think, right around three hundred pounds. Um, I think he's gonna work his butt off in training camp and. Um, you know, potentially earn that, you know, starting right tackle spot, um, you know, given that, you know, Drew Shelton, you know, likely locks up the left tackle spot um, in place of Olu. The other big recruiting news this week, uh, A.J. Harris, the former Georgia cornerback, uh, five-star guy, crystal ball picked to Penn State. That's that's a pickup they need to, to finish right, Seth. I mean, just given, given what we saw in the Peach Bowl, against a good old Miss passing attack. The guys Penn State had were not good enough. And granted, they weren't in those roles all year. They're going to have a full offseason in the program. You know, they're they're not going to be playing Ole Miss every week in, in Big Ten play. I think that, you know, what Penn State has, it would have looked a lot better through much of the Big Ten schedule. But, um, you know, again, like we talked about last week, it's not just about getting to the college football playoff next year. It's about having a chance to win. I think this is a guy you have to go get if, if you're going to have a chance to win games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any question Penn State needs to add another corner, if not two. Um, it was it was embarrassing, you know, in the Peach Bowl. Like Cam Miller, I understand is developing. He's young, uh, but he got beat, you know, by, by Trey Harris, who's a really good Ole Miss receiver. Um, and the tight ends as well. You know, Ole Miss tight end had, what, like 130 receiving yards? Uh, I think so did Trey Harris. It was just um, – it was a disaster in the secondary, which was – you know, kind of a, a unit that was completely locked up the whole year with, with Dixon and, and Kalen King and Daquan Hardy in the nickel. Um, it worked really well. Um, so they need to kind of revamp that whole room now with King and Dixon out and, and same with Hardy. I think personally, I think personally Cam Miller is either better as an in-the-box corner similar to what Johnny Dixon did, or they just move him to nickel completely. Um, and, and you fill those two – you know, normal corner positions, you know, elsewhere. Um, but AJ Harris is a guy who, um, you know, five-star, like you mentioned, you know, he's young and developing as well. He was only a freshman at Georgia, um, but he has a ton of talent and there's no doubt about it. He is one of the top recruited, one of the top transfer recruits in the country right now. Um, and behind them, you know, it's the freshmen, you know, it's Zion Tracy and Elliot Washington who, who did struggle in the peach bowl. Granted they're young too. Um, you know, they're going to need some help. But I think it does say something, though, Adam, that that Tracy and Washington were two of the, you know, four or five um, burnt red shirts they had this year. And they're they were two corners. So, you know, that should say something. Coaches must see something. Um, but I think they still need some help in that secondary. Yeah. And I think you're, if you're Penn State, you hope that, that the youth you have now and, and the inexperience you have now translates to. Um, you know, some some more meaningful results and, and kind of shoring up that secondary in the years to come. And listen, I mean, it, it's not as if we haven't seen young guys perform in this defense. Kalen King, um, you know, I think is is the number one guy who who you know came in as a freshman and contributed and, and found a niche. And um, you know, I think he's the template for a lot of these guys. We'll see if if Penn State can get similar results out of some of these young guys. Um, Seth, I'll get you out of here on this. Um, nice win for the basketball team. The most important game, everyone was joking on Twitter, the most important Michigan game of the week, Penn State beats Michigan at the Palestra. 
uh, historic venue. Always great to, to get the program in front of those Philadelphia fans who I, I think there's interest out there in, in the program. They fill up the palestra every single time to see this team. It's just a question of, um, you know, can you get that game on the schedule every year? I, I thought it was a nice boost. They're now 2-2 two and two in the Big Ten. I think March Madness is still a, a pretty far cry. But, you know, they look like they could win seven or eight games right now, Seth. Yeah, it's like it changes every time they play because it's like 31-point loss to Michigan State. It's like, oh, well, this team is awful, um, one of the worst teams you've seen. And then they, they beat Michigan. You're like, oh, well, they're back now. They're, you know, the 14-point comeback. Um, you know, it's kind of similar to what we saw against Ohio State. Um, it was an 18-point comeback. Um, this one was just so much cooler because it was just at the Palestra, um, which if you haven't been is just – it's it's a must-watch. Like it is a museum of college basketball – Built in 1927, um, the floor squeaks are iconic. That it's so loud, um, despite it being you know only about 8,000 people in there. Um, everyone just kind of crammed together. It was you know just a spectacle. It was really special to to be there and um, and also do it with 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 Phil Martelli, you know, longtime St. Joe's coach, um, serving as the the honorary head coach for Michigan. You know, in his return to the Palestra. That was special. And, you know, him coaching against Jimmy Martelli, um, his son, um, who's a Penn State assistant. There were a lot of storylines, and it was just it was just kind of fun to be there for that. One of my favorite Penn State trivia uh, answers is that the Cathedral Learning at Pitt, Rec Hall at Penn State, and the Palestra in Philadelphia at Penn were all uh, designed by the same architect. Right. Uh, they all yeah. have that connective tissue. Um, I think that's a, a fun little fact um, that I don't think a lot of people know, but those those three iconic buildings all came from one guy. Yeah, I believe his name was Charles Clauder, um, great architect. And it's funny with, with Rec Hall, too, and this is something I think a lot of people are a little pissed off about. Um, every time Penn State plays in the Palestra, is like Penn State literally has the model of Rec Hall in its backyard in Rec Hall, and, and it's just they, – they just don't use it. You know, it's they're playing once this year in February, which should be awesome. Um, but if you love the Palestra so much, like – can't they just play the games against Lemoyne or, or against Ryder that aren't going to, you know, pack the BJC? Can't they play those in, in, in Rec Hall? Like, I don't understand that. Like, I understand the BJC is great for things like concerts and, you know, you get Drake in there and Travis Scott. But, like, for a, for a small Penn State non-conference basketball game, like, what would it take to just put more of those games in Rec Hall? Because it really is special, and it, it, I think it's just better fan experience, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm glad they're getting getting back to that return to rec thing, and and um, you know, I, I know that the big logistical issue is you got to buy the court, right, and, and you got to set wow. up a different court on top of the existing surface. But hey, listen, we're talking about Beaver Stadium renovations. Maybe you could do some renovations to Rec Hall to make it usable, you know, as a space for students, as a space for the wrestling and the volleyball programs, but also um, have it available without having to lay out a brand new court on top of the existing surface every time you want to play a basketball game there. Um, it should just be as simple as saying, "Hey, we're going to play a couple games here. We're, we're going to you know, do exactly what you said against against these smaller colleges, um, non conference games, especially over the holidays, Seth. When when there's yeah. no students there no either, and it, yeah, it, yeah, there's no one. You know, it's just it's just the townies. Um, you know, it, it would be cool, a nice draw if you were playing a couple more games in Rec Hall. It doesn't have to be the whole schedule. Um, but listen, I mean, the, the wrestling program made the decision to leave the BJC more or less, right? I mean, they were doing a lot of their duels in, in the Bryce Jordan Center, and Kale Sanderson said, no, we like the intimacy of Rec Hall. We're going to do most of our stuff here, and, and you're going to have the one duel a season in the BJC. 
you know, to get a big crowd. And, and I yeah. think they found the right balance. I think that there's a balance that the basketball program could find too. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Is like, okay, well, if they're playing the Indianas or the Michigans or the Ohio States of the world, like, okay, you put those in the BJC if you're expecting a big crowd. But like, the BJC does not look good when they're playing a bad non-conference team and no one is there, especially over the holiday. It just doesn't. It, it it's terrible. Like honestly, it's terrible. Um, and just seeing this past weekend at the Palestra, um, it, it was it was amazing. Like I want more of that, and that, like I. Penn State should too. Pat Kraft was there. He saw it. Like maybe he's taking notes. Maybe if he's listening to this, he's also taking some more notes. Um, but you're right. Like add that to the renovations. Like make that a plan. I, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. Seth, thanks for joining me this week. Um, like we said, we're, we're going to do this every week. We have uh, we have things to talk about. We had a lot to talk about this week. We got through our 30 minutes. Um, so Seth, have a have a lovely week. We will be back here again, see how uh, the recruiting news goes, see how the fallout from uh, the national championship goes. And, um, yeah, I'm excited for the offseason, Seth. I think we're going to have some fun topics. Yeah, as am I. Thanks, Adam. All right, take care, everybody. Thank you for checking out this content for Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage that Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.